Well, thank you for joining us on the Grim and Bloody podcast. Uh, today, we got a fun one. Uh, we're going to talk about Virus, the 1980 disaster film. And uh, right after that, we're just going to go right into what other kind of disaster movies uh, scared the living bejesus out of us growing up or new ones that are coming around. Um, so this is something I think we should have a lot of fun with, guys. Uh, it, it, I think it's so easy to talk about disaster movies. Oh, yeah. For, for me, they just yeah. like, it, it just spills right out. God, I'm not sure I'm going to find any that, that frightened me, though, as... Uh... Some that frightened me at just how bad they were, but well, that's uh, a different type of fright. Yeah, <laughs> that yeah. you know. Uh, but uh, I have to think about if there was anyone that had like a frightening scene for me, uh, or uh, you know, or, uh, or, or 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 some such thing. Maybe uh, something that uh, that featured George Kennedy's acting. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Well. Uh, well, that you know, he is in Virus, the film that we're going to be speaking about. Uh, but uh, he was also very prominent in uh, in many of the uh, uh, disaster films, certainly in the 1970s. Well, so, he was an A-list uh, actor at the time. Huh? He was an A-list actor back then. I interesting. Yeah, he you know uh, he was, but he was also one that was never afraid to appear as a guest panelist on a game show. Yeah. Uh, which you never thought A-list actors would do, but sure enough, you know, I'm watching a classic episode of Match Game one day, and I'm seeing George Kennedy. Uh, you know. I love George Kennedy from Naked. I mean, every time I see him, I'm just going to start cracking up. Right? <laughs> yeah. He could be in the, the, the saddest death scene. I'm like, it's George Kennedy. <laughs> Yeah, I remember just waiting for the joke to come out. <laughs> the breath mint ads, and he was trying to be cool. Hey, boys, out you're gonna go out there uh, eating pizza later on. You want to go knocking boots? You want to make sure to have these breath mints. It's like, yeah, that's what I need. George Kennedy telling me about how to score with girls. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> well, let me go ahead and introduce my host before we get too far. Okay. On my left, Al Omega Creature Features. As always, thank yeah. you, Al, for coming on. This is as left as I get. <laughs> Kevin Nicholson, writer, horror news net. How you doing? Welcome. Joe Flynn, Creativity. Hello. We haven't chased you off. I'm yet, here. Joe. You just keep coming uh, back. I'm here. <laughs> yes, I'm here. We keep changing the locks and Joe keeps <laughs> finding a way in. Keeps I hacking keep the zoom room. in. <laughs> I'll brute forth this bitch. I'll get in. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> You're wrong. I'm going to get it. But yeah, tonight is uh, Virus 1980. We've been looking forward to doing this for a while. I've watched it a total of four times now, and no, the resolution hasn't improved one bit. It's still <laughs> grainy as shit. Um, but yeah, every time I watch it, I think I, I, I find more of the story that uh, just intrigues me more. Just today, it was the uh, submarine exchange. Um, I, I like movies that um, uh, don't skimp on the details. Um, not, I'm not talking about like Easter eggs, um, uh, where they're intentionally putting stuff in there. So like, ah, I got you moment. Uh, I'm talking about, you know, scenes that are so expertly crafted that you can rewatch it and you'll notice something new in the background that you didn't before. Um, with virus, I, I think there's plenty of, of moments where you can just sit back and you almost at awe of what they put together here. Um, that, yeah, it was, uh, Japan's largest, uh, budget movie at the time. 
Um, but sometimes that doesn't actually translate into, you know, a, a fully fleshed out uh, movie. Sometimes it could just be they wasted the budget. You know, maybe they uh, they you know went over in certain areas or they spent money in wrong places. Um, but every every part of Virus, and I wish I could have watched it on the big screen. Maybe it would have been in a better presentation. Um, but every part of this movie, it just seems like there was so much care and attention um, that was put into it. And I know it's a it's an adaptation, um, but it's a really good adaptation, and it makes me curious to see um, what the source material was. So maybe at some point I'll go ahead and. Um, and uh, look up the source material and give it a, a nice comparison. Um, but as far as Virus 1980, guys, it's it's definitely in my top five for disaster movies. And that's saying a lot. I've seen pretty much all of them that I can recall. Um, and Virus is, is up there. And it's surprising to me because as bad as it looks on the screen, um, I, I, I've gotten way past that. I'm like, God, this is just such an engaging story. It's so heavy. Uh, Anthony, you and I could be like on Cisco and Ebert. Uh, you know, doing this, I think we're we're kind of opposed on this uh, uh, on on this film. I had real. I could just be getting soft in my young old age, also. So, well, I could be. I I had real problem, uh, you know, with the uh, with the film. There's much to like uh, with uh, you know with this. The imagery is uh, is is haunting, uh, especially the. Uh, the, you know, the desolation scenes, uh, you know, towards the uh, end of the film, after the uh, the bombs go off. Oh, those are and, great. Yeah, uh, those those were. But did this really have? This was ultimately for me a pastiche of other ideas. Um, there is there's, there's pretty much with all the subplots that were that were going on. There's some soap opera kind of, uh, you know. Uh, you know, subplots. Oh, hey, I know you're going off to, uh, uh, you know, to, uh, to handle this dangerous business, but I want to tell you, I'm having your baby. Uh, you know, kind of, uh, you know, kind of thing. And it's, it's very Irwin Allen, uh, you know, type of, uh, uh, you know, type of thing. And I thought, I, I, I had that feeling of Irwin Allen in my, uh, uh, in my head. Um, when I was, you know, watching this, uh, and, and it's very subplotty type of, uh, you know, type of style, and I was, you know, uh, I was thinking, Erwin um, somehow got it, you know, got it, uh, you know, handled, uh, you know, better uh, in uh, in his uh, in his films. I don't know. To me, it, it just seemed like. It seemed like that this was, in 1980, a, a 70s disaster film, and yeah, you've yeah, got this. Yeah, I can see you that. Have this international, yeah, this international cast. Uh, when I see them come on, I really get the feeling that they filmed all of their scenes separately, and it's, you know, and it's inserted, you know, here, you know, wherever editing work, you know, wherever. Yeah, it's Kevin. Story required. Um, so, I, I think it could have been so much better. Um, yeah, so much better. Uh, you know, of a you know, uh, of a uh, of a story. So much of a clear narrative. If they hadn't gone with 
with what appears to be an homage to the 70s disaster films. I like you mentioned uh, Irwin Allen because he uh, produced yes. uh, one of my favorite high rise horror. Uh, yeah. I don't want to call it a horror movie, but it was horrific seeing this stuff, um, especially when you know that they don't they didn't have the CGI that we have right now uh, was the towering inferno with Steve McQueen and Paul Newman. Yeah, that's definitely up there too. So that's a good comparison because he did something that I thought was was, <laughs> was amazing. My father was trying to get me to watch that movie for God, upwards of 20 years. And I finally watched it. I'm like, I can't believe I waited this long to see this. So that, that's a good comparison. I love it. Now, speaking of Irwin Allen, before we uh, go off somewhere else here, uh, he actually was trying to make an Irwin Allen theme park including um, the Poseidon Adventure. So you were going to go onto a ride where the boat flips upside down, and then you had to w make your way out. I thought that would be just the most awesome ride ever, depending on how they did it. Oh, right. and, but it, unfortunately, that never made it out. And, uh, and more is the shame. But gotta love the guy. I'm a big Irwin Allen fan. Oh, I agree with that what'd you think about virus joe uh virus you know i thought it was okay yes i agree with you the quality is not the best thing uh about this film whatsoever so you know of course as kevin's alluding to the international cast and the american cast as i we were talking discussing this previously uh, on a show that will not be named um, sorry, uh, it, it was just that, uh, yeah, you had like Glenn Ford playing the president, you had George Kennedy, Henry Silva, uh, J Edward James Olmos, you know, a great little cast of people, Bo Stevenson, who, you know, are in this film. And yeah, it, it was, you know, entertaining for what it was as a disaster movie that would, you know, terrify people because who knows how closely this could have happened in reality. Oh yeah, I you mean, know? we we have our nukes pointed at each other and we go as far as to, to um, nowadays, uh, we'll go as far as position troops next to each other. Right, we're positioning uh, uh, staging crowns next to each other. Um, the U.S. We we are very very open about um, you know putting stuff right on your front doorstep. We ain't talking about you know back then it was yeah we have our our nukes and our silos you know in Wisconsin and Montana pointed at you. Nowadays it's like we're using Turkey as a staging ground, right? We're using Germany uh, as a uh, a blockade against you. So. Um, yeah, that hasn't changed. It's become more modern. Obviously, it looks a little bit different, but um, I think that same kind of feel like um, we're here and um, we can hit you at a moment's notice. It's it's still very much prevalent. Well, you know, this this movie calls upon the trope of the rogue general. All right, guys. Sorry, I got booted out there for a minute. Uh, no worries. No problem. So, so you were Sorry. saying about Irwin Allen and... Uh, it reminded you of a, uh, of one of his films. Well, uh, it reminded me that he had uh, wanted to make an amusement park, a theme park, uh, including a ride of the Poseidon, where the ship, the room would actually flip upside down, and you had to make your way out of the Poseidon. Right. 
So a little bit different, but you know, I'm a big Irwin Allen fan, and I, I, I wish that some of that had been made. Who knows? Maybe someone will make a disaster movie park, and it just spits you out back onto the street. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, like see, that. And, that, and that's the problem that was, was happening with with virus was that it kept having me. I, I kept remembering Irwin Allen and how this, uh, you know, how this type of film, you know, can be done. And to me, that's not a good thing when you're, uh, you know, when you're trying to set yourself apart from, uh, you know, from uh, other disaster films. We were also talking about um, yeah. some of the similarities or contemporaries that virus has with um, how things look nowadays, especially with uh, the, the later part of the movie where the general uh, who looks awfully unfazed, even though millions of people have died around him, and he's still walking about in the Oval Office. Um, he goes in and he uh, enables the ARS. And, you know, right. basically it's all the nukes that are pointed at Russia. Um, that sets up the, you know, what it looks like the climax for the uh, later part of the movie. Um, that's still happening today, as we were mentioning. You know, we're still pointing stuff at other countries at point blank. Only uh, nowadays, it's uh, a little bit more scary because we're putting troops right in, on their front door, right? We're using countries um, that are marked as our allies as staging grounds, and um, we're very, we're basically, we're very public about it. Like Turkey is our staging ground, right? Uh, we have troops in Germany, white, to ward off uh, Russia. So while we probably don't have, you know, nukes in Montana or Wisconsin pointing at, you know, the different countries. Uh, we have no problem, you know, putting uh, military assets, you know, right outside your doorstep. So um, I could see the similarities. And um, that's, for me, that was the other scary part, other than the virus, you know, wiping out humanity, was how quickly um, things can just get wiped out, you know, with the flick of a, a few buttons. And um, it, nowadays, it, it really hasn't changed, you think about it, you know, that, that threat of military action, although Nowadays, you could say the countries that were more intertwined, were more uh, uh, dependent upon each other, especially with trade, right? Um, who knows 100 years from now, when the last, or 200 years from now, when the last of the natural resources goes out, you know, um, the military action. And it's already been in a few movies um, where you see, you know, the last of, like uh, Pandorum would be one of them, where the last mm -hmm. of the natural resources is gone and, you know, nukes are just firing. Um, so, between virus and now, I saw a, a strong parallel between them. Right. And, and I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the fun, you know, the interesting thing is, is that, and one of the positives that I do have for virus is that it actually, uh, it actually puts forth um another uh you know another message that's you know even though this film is is ostensibly about a contagion um that uh uh that decimates you know mankind what this is really about is the is the fact that mankind is what decimates mankind um very good point if you look at this film it's about well, A, you could talk about the creation of this virus as a biological weapon to be used, um, and uh, the countries that are that are, are consciously buying for it. Um, you could also talk about, 
you know, the uh, it, in in this film, as far as the film is concerned, wobbling between uh, governments, the creation of nuclear weapons, and the fact that we're willing to use them, um, you know, uh, really suggests that this is this is more about the ugliness of man than. Uh, Oh. Uh, you know, uh, than anything else. Yeah, that, that's, that's the scariest part. Kind of I agree. Yeah. We, we are yeah. the scariest aspect of ourselves. You can say. You want to say yes. that? The, you want to say that the virus is what is what kills people in the in the, in yeah. this film? What about the mm. what about the nuclear arsenal that goes that goes off? Washington is And Anthony had a great point to that scene. About before the nukes, you had yeah. Glenn Ford, who plays the president, just there, isolated in the White House. And as Anthony was saying about it, how all this clutter of papers oh, are yeah. all over. Just saddening. And yeah. And it's like, as the president, what are you supposed to do? You know, it's like, Yeah, and again, I was just going to mention how the film supposedly is supposed to take place in the 1982, 1983, and 1988. That's how long it takes the poor guy to track from one place to the other. But go ahead. That's something that they don't really, I I suppose they, they do kind of talk about it, but maybe not enough, is that, all right, he goes to stop the nukes, give this away, and he fails. The nukes launch. Now, so now there's a plague on the planet, and a bunch of nukes have gone off, because if we've got an automated nuke system, so do they. So the only people that you know exist are quite literally on the other end of the world, in the frozen armpit of the planet, you have no way of actually getting there, just sort of close, and you're going to walk. I just don't see someone actually doing that. I mean, really, I think a lot of people just give up. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's, uh, I think that's really a, an existential dread that comes with these plague-type movies, is that you never really know if you're clear. In fact, they, they talk about this in the movie, that the uh, scientist in the South Pole has come up with a... a um, serum which is inoculated people but they have no way of finding out until they go somewhere uh so they may have effectively cured the world by wiping out 99 percent of the population uh therefore no one's left that can get have the disease and uh it has died out it's a horrible way to cure a disease but it might work it kind of did for the black death it's interesting if you talk about you know that well you've got the cure and the only way to find out if it is the cure is if you go somewhere else well the rest of the world is decimated so where is there to uh you know where is there to go and i think it plays out uh, you know towards the uh you know towards the end there's the lady in the uh uh in the uh, the group that has been inoculated um who has lost her child 
and she uh you know uh, and 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 uh the uh the or the doctor uh is trying to say uh you know hey let's you know let's go travel uh you know go travel to find you know uh, we got to travel because winter is coming and we're running out of food and the woman says why what's the point yeah and uh you know she's like i lost my child i've got nowhere to be, nowhere to go it's over for me and uh i i'm thinking yeah it, it is uh it is one of the bleaker endings to uh uh you know to a disaster film uh but it, it, it makes you wonder what uh, you know yes you, you know you gotta you know where do you go yeah, it's one of the more realistic endings. yeah yeah very uh you know very much so yeah i i think the tone it really it really doesn't change throughout the whole movie it starts bad and it, it, it ends bad um but I, I can't think of a movie that <clears throat> most of the disaster movies that i've watched they've always tried to spin a positive end um yeah 2012 i think is probably you know one of the more popular ones um you know uh the day after tomorrow right yes. more of the modern some of the newer ones i, I don't want to call them newer but you, you know what i'm saying like probably like post you know 1990 and, and on in the 2000s um it, it almost became fun to watch like you know uh independence day these disaster movies where everything gets wiped out but they they, they were always sort of comical there's always a little bit of humor in it the older Very ones sure. when they were actually facing these threats um when we there was the threat of nuclear disaster you know when there was uh uh, you know the Cuban Missile Crisis, for example. Um, you know the tone. You can see the tone is much different versus nowadays. Um, the tone with disaster movies. The the movies that we see nowadays that have the grim endings are more closer to the disasters, the real disasters we're facing now, which is like climate change. You know, um, one of those movies or something like The Knowing. I don't know if you guys have seen that one. Yeah. You know, yeah. when the sun has a, 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 a solar outburst so so large that it, it fries the surface of the earth. Right. Yeah, it was good. I, it, I guess... it was one of Nicolas Cage's kind of, uh, I think it was mixed reactions, but that's another disaster yeah. movie where the ending is also kind of grim. But it's more on yeah. par with what we're dealing with, right? We're dealing with existential stuff, you know, um, thinning of the ozone layer. Right, uh, you know, water running out. Right, um, you know, water world states drying up. You know, there's, there there's nothing left. That's our fear <laughs> nowadays. Um, viruses. You know, uh, probably just segue right into movies like Outbreak. Right, Contagion. Mm. That's what we're dealing with. We're no longer worried about you know nukes flying oh. overhead. Or if you guys saw the movie Red Dawn with Patrick yeah. Swayze, yes. mm -hmm. yeah, we're not worried about uh, Russian parrot troopers you know uh sailing over our, our roofs we're worried about you know stuff that there's really no defense over right and which one's more scarier you know the the crazed general uh, about to uh, launch ars or um the fact that you know another country uh is, population is so desperate for food that they're eating whatever they can possibly find and it's creating you know it's unearthing these viruses 
that they they can't control right it's it's a different kind of fear that we have so i don't want to say it's fun watching you know um other people's but it's all the same it still kind of gets you like yeah i can see that i can i can still put myself in their shoes a little bit and say that that is a crazy way to to go out and today you know we're still in the midst of a pandemic although it is uh, subsiding we're all getting vaccinated i mean last year was yeah it was it was nuts it was that was our fear you know that was our horror was walking outside your door and i don't know what's going to happen to me you know well speaking of red red dawn my my moment of my suspension of disbelief moment that it didn't work was that how everyone sort of rolled over for the russians yeah if you Put a bunch of paratroopers and soldiers foreign soldiers in the midwest somewhere every town has that one geek that's got the pumped up truck with five <laughs> different kind of automatic rifles on it and probably some explosives who's more than happy to go out and fight these guys um i i just can't believe anybody would think that would be a good idea it would go badly for them and actually that's one of the reasons why during world war ii the japanese didn't try that they were terrified of all the crazy Americans with guns running around. But moving on. Um, yeah. we, we had mentioned, you know, the day after. And yes, again, yes, yes. Another very serious ending made of, uh, only three years after this. Uh, a very serious movie about, in that case, a, a nuclear exchange. And while it has, I think what most people watching it lightly would say is a, a very sad ending to it. Uh, that movie and this movie both have, if you really look into it, I think you'll find it's an uplifting ending. They're not going for humor in it. Uh, in, in the day after, you know, while Jason Robart has left the farm and gone to his, his home, the city, to see what happened, and it's burned out, and there's a bunch of people living in his living room um, in, in ragged clothes and dirt on them and he starts yelling at them to get out and he realizes he's lost everything and he starts crying and these people that he'd just been yelling at come up to him and try to comfort him they offer him half an apple it's the only food they have but they're trying to comfort this guy who obviously still has more than they do uh, and same thing in our movie here virus uh our hero does eventually meet up with his friends who pick him up and carry him off like something out of Jesus Christ Superstar. <laughs> Which, you know, he totally deserves after making that walk. You know, whatever shoes he was wearing, boy. Oh, Talk yeah. about a sponsor. What about his underwear? <laughs> uh, there you oh, go. Man. But he was also yes. going kind of crazy there in that church when the dead are talking to him. At least they were polite. I have to say that that... that, that 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 ending with with the with the guy you're talking about kind of uh, almost provoked a uh, a bit of a chuckle for me because here he makes this arduous journey across the world and you see the uh, the the sequences of him by himself walking slowly in these rags that he's persevering only to get to a you know to a point uh in the snow in the arctic where he does a tumble down this you know down the uh uh you know this the side of the mountain there uh as if uh as if he's going into a you know 
as if he started his own avalanche. Uh, you know, uh, you know. Basically, I'm wondering: is he making the trek all that way only to die there on the ice? That would yeah, suck. That's it. <laughs> that would have been Titanic too. <laughs> that would have. That would have sucked. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But, I, but I'm sorry. When you, what they did was um, they had basically uh, because of previous uh, the success of previous films, uh, they had the director of uh, uh, the director of this. Uh, I'm uh, uh, Kinji Fukasaku had 16 million dollars to play with um with uh virus uh with getting this six relatively 60 million dollars in u.s uh in u.s funds to uh uh you know to to play with this and i think a lot of it well a lot of the intent was to uh, build as much of an international base uh for international box office hitting yeah. the the american stars that you can get all the American stars that you can get, and the problem, you know, is at least for me, what I think uh, come up, uh, came up is that that's one of the reasons, one of the things that reminded me of it became very episodic. Reminded me of Irwin Allen's, uh, you know, films where you had uh, where you had these all star, you know, casts. So. To me, when I see that, it kind of takes away the you know the uh, the seriousness of the film just a bit. When you're seeing when you're doing a spot the star, you're seeing Glenn Ford as the president, you're seeing George Kennedy as an admiral, you're seeing to Robert Jane Vaughn. almost nearly unrecognizable. What's that? I had to do a double take. It sounded like him, but I just didn't see it. <laughs> and you've got Robert Vaughn showing up. You've got Henry Silva showing up as the. Yeah. Uh, as the crazed you know general i mean you know you, you keep thinking what's you know what's next uh you know burgess meredith showing up as an <laughs> as an old uh as an ex uh, world war ii pilot or something uh hey uh, i don't no, yeah, and kevin yeah and uh, 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 kevin this yes. is like something i had mentioned uh was that when they're looking at the special effects that the U.S. did, the director uh, didn't like them. And so right. he scrapped the whole U.S. effect team and brought in his own right. Japanese right. team. That takes guts. And boom, there you go. Knowing that you're going to wipe out that whole chunk of budget that you can't get back and you have to spend more or cut something else. Well, right. in a movie like this, when you have, uh, first you have all these big names, and plus you have two different countries trying to interface. Uh, I believe, and I'm, I'm, I'm a little fuzzy on this, so forgive me if I'm wrong, that there's basically a loose tally of, of actors. If you have, you know, 10 major Japanese actors in the United States filming, you know, you can only have like maybe 10 other American actors in Japan filming. And since there aren't that many actors in Japan, American actors in Japan filming, they can't have that many Japanese ones here. So uh, he's really working against time and uh, for pressure, not just the money. Uh, and he's got to make everyone happy on both sides of the, the ocean there. And that's got to be hard. A lot of dancing done by this producer. 
I think create, creatively, um, this movie would have, to me, this movie would have worked better if you had essentially a, an all homegrown cast um, and y you know, you didn't have as, as Al and, and, and Joe and you all are talking about, you didn't have this, this whole, um, uh, you know, this whole conflict of, you know, U.S. and uh, and, uh, and and you know, U.S. and Japanese um, resources and, uh, and and so forth. I think if this film, for me, felt um, less episodic, uh, had less of that international <laughs> cast kind of Irwin Allen-ish, uh, uh, you know, campiness, uh, you know, to it, I think it would have worked and would have been a um, you know, uh, somber, brilliant message film. The one thing I would have liked from the novel um, was how the virus came about. Um, with in the novel, the virus, um, instead of the um, being genetically engineered, um, you know, it was created by accident. Um, the novel starts off with a U.S. space mission in which um, they gather a group of microbes in Earth orbit and um, they later bring it down for bioware, uh, bio warfare, excuse me, uh, researching. Um, and they're found to be like this uh, super germ, right? Uh, capable of surviving in sub-zero temperatures and, and potential grow exponentially um, if they're in the, like the kind of the right uh, environment. Um, I would have found that much more interesting versus we just stumbled on this and woof, we're just trying to get rid of it. So that that's probably the only thing I would have changed was the beginning. Um, that's the only part that as far as the movie um, really kind of didn't fit with the rest. It, it felt like we needed an excuse to introduce the virus and unleash it, right? It, everything felt a little convenient in the beginning. Um, th that's just me. I mean, still the movie's good, but um, if I got to change anything, I probably would have included the uh, U.S. space mission as the introduction. Well, it's, it's interesting you say that because that's uh, in the late 60s there when we went to the moon, they were actually really concerned about that, that we would bring viruses or something back from the moon. And then there was actually a quarantine for all of that. Uh, and that sort of died down a bit. And certainly there have been a lot of other movies that have dealt with the whole concept of space viruses that mutate us all and do God knows what. There's one involving Mars, which is uh, very fun to watch. Uh, but, you know, I found the beginning of the movie uh, very understandable in how they came to this idea. A lot of movies, a lot of ideas at the time, is that's the sort of thing that would happen. You'd have the crazed general decide against orders to make the disease, and then it gets, you know, some people are gonna steal it, and then some other people steal it before you, they get the chance to steal it, and their plane goes down while trying to flee over the Alps, so it's lost in the snow, so it doesn't, and if it kept cold enough, it uh, doesn't come out, so they had to wait till the bottle broke and the snow thawed uh, for it to spread, so it's, a year later before anyone notices so they maybe not even putting two and two together for the first year or two which would be really bad 
So I, I saw this. Uh, I, it, it made a lot of sense to me. Very linear for me. Of course, that's me saying that, too. I'm not exactly the most linear person out there. Now, talking about space, that would probably segue us into another disaster movie. I don't know if you guys seen Greenland with Gerard Butler. Not, no. uh, not yet. I've heard some good things about it. it it's a deeply emotional story. Um, it, it, it reminds me a lot of uh, Deep Impact with Morgan Freeman, if you saw that. Yes. Um, yes. The comet itself is the MacGuffin. Um, it is not the Michael Bay Armageddon where, you know, everything surrounds us and like, oh, we got to get there, Bruce Willis. Um, this is something is happening, happening that's out of our reach. And the only thing we can do is take care of our, our family. Um, you know, it, it's very modern. Um, it's something that, you know, we obviously have no control over. Um, I, you know, I, I think it, maybe in the movie, if I don't, if I recall, they tried to knock the common out of uh, orbit. They may not have. They probably. I, I think the assumption was the um, the pieces were going to break apart in the atmosphere. And after the first uh, pieces of the uh, the comet's uh, uh, kind of cloud um, started hitting, they, they realized that this isn't normal, and it was actually making you know solid you know destructive impact. Um, yeah. But everything else that happened after that felt very real, like. They had, you know, stolen the pages out of government's, you know, emergency playbook that says when the shit truly hits the fan, um, these are the steps that we're going to follow. And right off the bat, not everyone is going to survive, right? People are going to get chosen based on their profession. We're going to announce it, you know, uh, discreetly in your home or your phone. In the movie, it goes on TV, which is kind of funny, but it also goes on his phone. Um, that probably would happen. And that's the scary part because let's say you're like with us, if we're not in a position, like if, are you a system architect, right? Are you a, a carpenter, right? Are you a doctor? doctor. Um, there's only you know, certain, Whatever. are you a nurse, right? Um, it, you start looking at yourself like, well, shit, I'm dead. It's funny that you, you mentioned um, Deep impact, and I'm going to tell oh, you that. I'm going to tell you. Oh, sorry. I, I I was just going to say that that's that's probably um, the one disaster film that has made the most impact on me in the uh, uh, in the last you know. Well, in all the years I've been watching disaster films, yeah, it, it was it was solid, and that was really the one was. that was um, it's interesting because it was originally to be uh, uh, it, it originally were looking. This goes back to the 1970s when they were looking to do a remake. Uh, Richard Zanuck and, uh, and David Brown were looking to remake when worlds collide, which is right. 1950s film. Which and, I was going to bring that out. Yeah, and they uh, they had uh, you know it's one of those things that gets shelved for you know for you know for years for uh, uh, because of other commitments and other and you know and studio politics and things like that. You know, they eventually in the '90s brought uh, brought in Steven Spielberg to uh, look at directing uh, you know directing it and. Uh, 
so and, and there the film ultimately does get uh made but with uh not spielberg with mimi later uh directing it to me that one they had some seven uh science experts uh from yeah it was loaded with 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 um real life guys that said this is probably how it would play out yeah and and to me that this was a film that was as you say this was less about the uh uh the reason for the destruction the MacGuffin, as you pointed out and more about how we would react to impending doom Mm -hmm. and what would we what would we do to try to serve you know try to survive and to me it's a it's the human drama you know of this even with the astronauts in space led by the the crafty robert duvall uh you know the crusty robert duvall uh you know rather as the uh, uh as, as as the guy who just wants to you know wants to uh do his job and uh, and 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 make it home to see his kids uh mm-hmm. you know that uh, that kind of thing to me that's what 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 it's all about what makes it uh what makes it work it's so good in uh in that that you almost you know you almost forget that this is also a special effects late uh you know laden picture uh yes. you know <laughs> you're, you're watching vanessa redgrave and maximilian shell reconnect as an estranged couple uh on uh, on a beach and that's more interesting than the, you know even than the effects uh uh you know going on but the effect scenes are magnificent and as you talked about big threat the MacGuffin is not really the biggest you know uh the you know the biggest part of the overall no not at all they did a great job it's kind of just the catalyst it's the thing that um you know propels the characters forward um and you know they they get their stories going um I I like disaster movies that are like that um the knowing was like that uh Greenland was like that it's something yeah. that's happening outside of our control. Where's the focus on the movie? The focus is on uh, the family the or yeah, the characters. Um, that's what we're more interested in. We know what happens when a giant asteroid is going to hit the Earth, right? Or a comet. Um, it, yes. It's all bad, right? It, it, we already know what's going to happen. What we don't know what's going to happen is if our protagonists are going to make it out in the end. And I don't. I won't give away the ending to Greenland, but um, it has the same kind of feel as Deep Impact, but it, it, it's just more modern. Like, um, yeah, you still have the caves, um, as, as they mentioned in the trailer, but it, everything is different getting there. Um, it's really a wild ride. Um, there's a lot of twists and turns, but in the end, uh, it's another expertly crafted family drama disaster movie that also scares you because it it's just another reminder we don't know everything that's out there you know we, we just Very don't true. and, and yeah. even when you look in the news sometimes you know NASA will say oh we didn't know that was going to come out you know from our um from outer space until uh, it, was a, it was a few hundred thousand miles away <laughs> like I, I remember yeah, reading yeah. a news clip and like that I'm like are you serious you guys didn't see this coming <laughs> right no um, it, that's real well it, it depends i mean there's a, an episode of stargate where you know the bad guys have lobbed a large asteroid at earth and they're saying oh well why didn't we see it sooner and they said well you know it's 
we expect everything to come in on the ecliptic, which is uh, the orbits of the planets, because that's how the whole solar system and, and the galaxy there is made. If it comes in at a right angle, no one's looking up there. So a rogue something or other coming at us. Yeah, we might not know that until it is you know a day or two away, and purely by yeah. And it will probably be a, an amateur that finds it. Like we have, that used to be the old trope is that uh, no one believes it because the amateur saw it and, and everyone's ignoring the amateur who's trying to get them to get them to pay attention and save mankind or whatever. So Yes. But that we talked a, about I, disaster I, movies. Um, hold on. We, so, oh, you got something, Joe? Go ahead. Go ahead, Joe. Uh, oh, oh I, got, I got like uh, a couple good ones, really. Go for it. Go for it. Uh, th thank goodness we were not alive back in 1939 when H.G. Wells did his recording of War of the Worlds. When that happened. And then when they made the movie to War of the Worlds. That started as a radio play first, right? Yes. Yes. It was a radio play and people bought it and people even committed suicide thinking that we were being invaded. God, and that was the number it. one source of entertainment was the radio. Yes. I, I often then, wonder if, if I often wonder if any of that was embellished a little bit to, maybe. Uh, I, to try to, to I, try I, to sell it. I, I'd read a, you know, about people who had uh, who had failed to hear that it was good that there was going to be this live broadcast and failed to hear the opening of the radio program. All of a sudden, catching the middle, uh, you know, the middle. I suppose it's possible they caught the middle of it and actually thought it was a newscast or something like that. But it does make you wonder. Hmm. Maybe, maybe not. Yeah. You know, well, uh, several times during the broadcast that this was that it was just yeah. a, uh, a fictional piece of work. But remember, the first time a magician saw the lady in half. There's a classic magic trick sawing the lady in half uh the magician uh, uh was performing this and men rushed the stage and pinned him down because they were sure he was going to kill the woman sure that's right uh, yeah, and, no. and this was upper crust people this was not your average joe so no, not in me right, in the right uh, mindset yeah people might turn around and, and think wow this is uh this is real um yes yeah, so you got to be careful of this stuff. You know, it was right. Really... And, oh, go ahead. Yeah, and no, uh, and then of course, uh, Anthony or Kevin brought up when worlds collide, which yes, it would be a terrifying scenario. And then another really good movie that is a virus uh, dealing with a comet that comes overhead and. Uh, if you watch it, you go bye bye, which was Night of the Comet. Yeah. And so, and then it's like, hey, up to these two teenagers and uh, the trucker to, you know, they're like, hey, what's going on, man? But yeah, all these disaster movies, the Earl and Allen films, like The Poseidon Adventure, Towering Inferno, even the God forbid, The Swarm, you know. God bless it. Uh, something that I will not discuss ever. Uh, but yeah, different movies, different times. But yeah, all these viruses and uh, disaster films, 
they have their moments where, hey, they could be terrifying and people will be going like, oh my God, that could really happen. So those are some movies really to watch and have fun with. So we talked about disaster movies, like yeah. the, the movies that were over that were, were we knew what was gonna happen in the film. Um, really, I wanted to get your guys' opinion. Like, think of your number one film. When I, I'll just toss this question out. You're watching a movie. We can put it in the horror category, but it can be any any category. Um, but there is a mention or a scene in the movie that frightens the shit out of you because it threatens to be apocalyptic. And if it comes out, then this would wipe out humanity. Yeah, think of one movie where you come across a scene, you pass it, and that's all you can think about in the movie as it progresses, that it, it changes the whole narrative for you. Uh, you're watching the movie, and you're, you're, you're dealing with this, you're dealing with this, and then you see this threat introduced, and then you realize we're no longer talking about their survival, we're talking about everybody's survival. You guys got a film in mind that just scared the crap out of you, like, like oh, oh shit. I wasn't expecting that kind of uh, 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 threat to happen. Well, gotcha. first thing, go ahead, go ahead, Al, please. Oh, the first thing that came to my mind, really, I don't know if we call it a horror movie, it's certainly a disaster one, but I remember when Threads came out with broadcasts on TV, and they actually had um, therapists available to talk to people on the phone because it was a very disturbing movie. Because, and I think that what was disturbing about it was less that. That's the 1984 one? No, before that, was, I forget what it was. Maybe it wasn't Threads. Let's see, uh, yeah, it was pre nineteen eighty certainly. Uh, and it, the the whole thing about it was that it was, they have the nuclear exchange, but mm -hmm. then it talks about what happens afterwards, and um, the dis the dissolving of our language oh, because geez. of poor. Uh, language skills, uh, the, in, how it's hard to pass on knowledge because man, that's a gut punch. Yeah, there's no there's no computers. Uh, they, they show one school that has A B C R that they manage to power up. Um, you don't think uh, about that, right? In a disaster movie, the, the loss of your language. Yeah, uh, in fact, they have to subtitle it because it, it morphs. So uh, there's a, wow. a girl. We follow at one point, and there are a couple of guys that, that like her, and they're, they're talking, you know, gee, if she has a baby from these, what'll happen? And she grabs some f food and runs from somebody, and they pull out a gun and shoot her because, of course, it's nothing like law anymore either. Yeah. Even though they are still living in buildings, they are still trying to have a civilization. The veneer is very thin at this point. And that really stuck to me was that. Uh, even if you survive, I mean, it's like it's almost like why bother? Because yeah. it's it's a, a right. big deal, which is why watching this movie Virus and this guy walking along, I'm like, I don't think What's I the would point? bother. Yeah, you, you get reunited with someone so you can starve to death with them. Great. Gosh, uh, that's all you have to live on, too, huh? Jeez. I'm listening to what Al has to say about threads and kind of the you know the, the bleakness of society civilization the prospect uh you know the hope uh dwindling and i think uh, i got i could only think of films like 
What scares me is how after a post-apocalyptic event, if there is any kind of uh, society to survive, how will it how will it uh, you know, will it survive? How will it respond to uh, you know to adversity? Will it disintegrate into savagery, to madness, uh, you know, to, to crime and so forth? And I'm thinking of two films. Uh, there's one called No Blade of Grass uh, ah. from 1970, with directed by uh, uh, by actor Cornell Wilde. And uh, it starring Nigel Davenport, uh, filmed in England, uh, you know, mostly, which talks about a very bleak, uh, where you know, where yes. society is uh, is much more prone to you know to just shooting anybody that comes on their uh, uh, that comes on their yard, um, where food is uh, you know is scarce, and. You know, essentially, where life is cheap, and it, it is, uh, it's it, it, it's sad that we've we've come down to that. Another one is uh, Panic in the Year Zero, uh, ah. with uh, Ray with Ray Milan, and again, it, that that also talks about uh, the disintegration of things such as the family unit and uh, uh, and the resorting to violence to be able to. Uh, uh, you know, to survive and, uh, and so forth. And that's what scares me about uh, where we're headed as a society should something like that happen. Oh, wow. Uh, you know, again... You have one, Joe? I, I, I do, but it's not really terrifying. And it's not really... A dis- well, it could be considered disaster. It could just be something that scared you, maybe, like, well, uh, or something that kind of changed how you were you're watching the rest of the well, movie. Uh, well, I'll, I'll give you this one. It, it's called Logan's Run. Oh, uh, that's a good one. Uh, basically, imagine, cool. you know, hey, sanctuary, man. I need sanctuary. Uh, but yeah, for me, when I saw that film for the first time. And it's like, and I was like, you know, like, wow, just imagine if there is this law, you know, like, oh, yeah, once you turn 30, you ain't going to be around no more, or you're going to try to get that sanctuary, you know, and that kind of future kind of spooked me, you know, it's like, eh, do I really want to be, you know, in that kind of society, you know? Yes, but all your needs are taken care of so well. Uh, I think it'd be very hard if you were brought up in that society, um, much harder than it is for us now, to walk right. away from that. Yes. Even if you could. Yes, yes Logan Five. Uh, now, what? did you see the TV series? I saw uh, one episode because it did become a TV series, like a year or two. Gregory after Harrison. The Gregory Harrison, yeah, yeah, in the Michael York, uh, you know, role, and, and I was Randy. reminded of it, uh, uh, you know, of the series. I actually went back to watch it recently because I saw Gregory Harrison pop up in an episode of uh, the recent show Nine One One, and uh, and and I uh, I realized, like, oh my God! Well, first of all, he he, you know, he is like seventy something now, but uh, I. Uh, 
I grew up very fondly remembering the uh, the Logan Trent television uh, you know, television series. Not nearly the film, but still fun. Yeah. Now, my film, uh, we, we've mentioned it here before, but um, <coughs> truly and completely, um, it, I, I, I'd never been shifted in my seat uh, while watching a movie before as much as The Thing, 1982 with John Carpenter. Um, what started uh, shift, out, Anthony, shifted or shitting in your seat? <laughs> it probably was a little bit of both, right? Especially <laughs> the dog the alien. Um, but uh, I can tell you the 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 older I become, the more profound that movie uh, has had effect on me because I started taking in everything else around the movie, the the music by uh, Ennio Morricone. I mean, the whole movie from the very beginning. There's no chance for any of the scientists whatsoever they're they're gone um from the very opening shot they, they don't have a chance um this alien it's too powerful and it, it's too much it, it it is too much and when i was watching this movie i, I probably saw it when i was uh, geez in my 20s um i was a big aliens fan right i was you know sigourney weaver gun toting right uh we're gonna make it out of here all right you know and uh roll credits and woo, we, we kicked their ass right um the, the thing wasn't anything like that um although when i was watching the beginning of it um you know uh maybe a third of the way through you haven't have a feeling like we're, we're up against something strong here uh we're trying to figure it out but you you have you don't think that they're already doomed right you don't get that feeling up until um the the doctor uh what was his name oh jeez what's his name uh, uh <laughs> yes so when he's uh analyzing the dna and he can see the um the very small bits of the alien every every strand of dna is is its own alien and if it left the facility and reach the mainland you know it calculates how long they would have to live right you know if, if it reached the mainland how many you know how long do we have before everybody's infected and it's funny how it went from being an alien to a virus right now we're infected i, I that's the change right now you're talking about we're not no longer talking about an alien that we can shoot with a gun here right we're talking a virus no. that that we have no no defense over right that changed everything for me. It went from I'm rooting for these guys to they're they're fucking done, right? It, it was it was wholly depressing. It, it was a good movie, but it, it, it's such it's such profound sadness because you know none of these guys are going to make it out. They have to sacrifice themselves to keep it at bay, and their oh, whole yeah. their whole focus shifted. Um, John Carpenter, master of horror, uh, he shifted the movie. It went from we're fighting this thing to we just have to do whatever we can to keep it here. And I, I thought that was, it. for me, there hasn't been a movie that, that, that affected me as much as that. I'm gonna tell you that I think what what, uh, what adds to Carpenter uh, and his uh, his directing in that film, and it, uh, Kurt Russell as, uh, as McCree, his character is that kind of guy who at the very end of the of the film 
basically you can tell what's going on in his mind where he's saying himself ah fuck i gotta kill my you know kill myself to stop this uh you know stop this alien from uh from reaching the mainland all right let's do it you know that kind of loner resilient tough guy that i think only kirk could uh you know could do really sells that ending it does he does yeah really so hey and i'll I'll throw in an easter egg for you that i bet you didn't know in the opening scene the husky is running and the uh uh, the other team is uh, the Norwegian team is chasing it down with the helicopter and shooting at it. They're right. yelling at the uh, the U.S. team, and what they're yelling in Swedish is, "The dog is an alien. Kill it if you don't touch it." Uh, really? Okay. Swedish. That would be the end of uh, you know the movie for you right there. <laughs> I didn't know that. Right there. Now I'm yeah. even more sad. So, now I'm gonna watch this again. Now I'm gonna watch yeah. it again. Now, I want to see that again. If you want to yeah, talk about it. Where was that written? Al, I've watched every single... Was that one of the special commentaries? Uh, I forget where I saw that. Wow. Here we go. Uh, to bring up a couple uh, nice little things about the thing. Uh, Adrian Barbeau had the uh, computer voice, which was uncredited. Oh. And that hurt. Lovely Adrian Barbeau. Adrian Barbeau. Yes. And also Larry Franco, one of the producers of John Carpenter's films. It was uh, one of the uh, Norwegian guys with the rifle. And even John Carpenter's in it as the Norwegian video footage. Yeah, the dog that was uncredited. And the dog's name was Zed. Hey, Jed, Jed, come here, Jed. You know, they made a freak of Yes. And the, the prequel ends with the guys the chopper chasing after the dog. Yeah. The prequel, now, I, I ignore the prequel. It, it, I it, like the prequel. They tried. They tried. But... They tried. But, you know, you're not, it, there's, you just can't do it. Yeah. Now, it, it just, yeah. Speaking of diseases um, and, and, and having to deal with, you know, that's the whole thing with a, a disease based movie like these is that there's this huge existential dread because, as you said, this isn't something you can fight. It's not something you can shoot. And very likely you're going to have to kill some people you like. There's a TV series with Brent Spider called Threshold, which yeah. involves, uh, again, in the same thing with uh, The Thing, if you uh, ingested any of the contaminated materials, or if you rubbed yourself against them, you yourself could be contaminated. And that was kind of the point of it. And I kept thinking about this and that, they never say what the the minimum requirement for transformative action was. So if you ate, there's a scene with a bit where there, people are being transformed by eating tomatoes uh, that are grown a special way. Well, what if you only ate part of the tomato? Would it just take longer? And when you have something like that, you contaminate a biosystem with it, it's only a matter of time. And that's really very frightening. There was a, and going back to the news for just a second, there was a very popular British TV series called Survivors, uh, where I think it's actually not, I'm sorry, it's a, a disease that, uh, it, that sweeps so fast in the series that literally people start getting sick that night 
and the next morning half you know most of the population is dead and people have no yeah. idea what to do because there's simply there wasn't even a time to react Shit. <laughs> yeah so that was that's a very popular series over there fairly recent too i understand the so things right. to check out if you're bored oh yeah and you know that's the thing too and you know again with all these disaster movies i would tell people watch them go look them up you know buy them you know rent them you can also listen to us get your list because they will all be in the show notes (laughs) that's right and this will be on the test well there was a uh a netflix movie i i sort of talked about on my show where uh we don't know what's happened Our, our hero is in New York, and he calls his girlfriend in, in California, and she says, oh, something's about to happen, and the phone goes dead, and then uh, the internet goes out, and then all the power goes out, and the government is everywhere, and our hero decides uh, he's uh, visiting his girlfriend's parents. She's about to join them, and oh, man, I'm blanking on the, the black gentleman's name. He was in Black Panther. He's got a, a droopy eye. Chad uh, Bozeman. No, 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 uh, not him. Well, one of his friends in it uh, has is a black gentleman with a, uh, a droopy eye. Forrest, Forrest in... Whitaker? That's it, Forrest Whitaker in it. And Forrest Whitaker is a ex-army or ex-marine, and he thinks the boyfriend is pretty much a panty waist. He's like, I'm not going to wait here. I'm going to go find my daughter. You can come with me if you like. And on their little road trip through hell, basically, the boyfriend is constantly reminded dad is a badass because he's a veteran and i always tell people if you want to survive something bad happening get to know some veterans they've been trained to handle weird stuff and they probably know where they should be headed so be nice to your veteran now take him out to dinner buy him a drink do something there are a lot of them out there need some help and there you go yeah very true what is what is uh, uh, Tom Cruise in War of the Worlds? When all hell is breaking loose, who does he uh, you're coming into contact with? Michael Madsen. I say if you're gonna if you're gonna survive a you know a post-apocalypse, you're gonna survive an alien invasion. Get to Michael Madsen, whatever character he's playing, uh, you know, in it, he'll get you through it. You know, I try to like, I, I relatively like Tom Cruise, but I had a trouble with that movie. You know, they talk yeah. about that that moment of suspension of disbelief. And if you exceed that, the movie just doesn't work for you. And for me, uh, you know, Tom Cruise is this dock worker who's disassembling an engine in his living room. He's divorced and his kids stay with him sometimes. And his teenage son steals his cherry 1969 rotted out <laughs> Mustang uh, when this all happens, and the kid comes back without the the the, uh, the car, and I hate to say it, but he doesn't smack him, because that's all I can think about is that if I if I took Dad's special car, I had better be. You're gonna get a whooping. Back. Yeah. If uh, I you're oh, yeah. not supposed to care about material things over yeah. your children. <laughs> He's playing a very visceral sort of character in this particular role. I have kids have gotten whooped for less. No. It's, oh, a silly yeah. film. it's a silly <laughs> film, and I, uh, I, I really, yeah. only, I really only mention it because Michael Madsen is one of my favorite characters, and he's usually playing these grizzled, uh, 
veterans, these grizzled, you know, guys that when you need, uh, uh, when you need a, uh, you know, someone to lead you, he's, he's usually pretty much there. Uh, when I saw yes. the movie Species, and uh, yes. there's a scene where the Natasha Hentridge, uh, you know, alien character is uh, is like looking all powerful, and standing up against uh, against her is Michael Madsen with a shovel, uh, and yes. <laughs> basically just whacks her like, oh, you think you're powerful? Let me just whack you, you bitch. <laughs> like, and then yes. you, know, you just, yeah. Anyway, oh yes, Matson fan. But yeah, yeah. No, and, and again, all these films are really fun movies to watch, regardless. Yeah. You know, if you've never seen them emotions, or not. But in the end, you'll. Yeah. It's like being on a roller coaster. You know, you you're gonna love yes. it. Yes. Yeah. I agree. Well, in closing, I want to give you guys a minute. Uh, let's talk about uh, what we got coming up. Uh, Kevin, what you working on? What I'm working on is a uh, uh, well, it's a couple of things. I, uh, I I just finalized the transaction to get uh, uh, to get uh, recorded material from David Warner uh, to uh, discuss uh, ten of his uh, biggest films for my book. Uh, nice. Which coming out uh yeah, next year so it'll be all about disseminating hours and hours of his uh, uh of recorded anecdotes and, and stories and going through what rare photos that are being sent and uh and, and so forth and that's uh well it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be and, it's gonna be very awesome it's gonna be very awesome and I, and I already can tell you what uh one of the top 10 movies will be uh, will be probably time after time. Uh, yes, uh, time after time is one of my favorites. You'd be so surprised. I'm just saying it's going to be there. It's yeah. going to be in there. You'd be surprised though that how many films he's you know he has been in. Nineteen Airport, nineteen seventy nine. Yeah, that's not one of them. But I'm <laughs> yeah, just joking. I, I did have to ask about that. I did. I did. Um, I am going to be, you know, discussing that film only because there's one of the, it's one of the international cast blockbuster type films. One of the only ones that he did uh, in the uh, in the '70s, and, and I, I just, you know, with that kind of cast, there has to be that many stories. To, well, he's uncredited. Uh, who got, who got drunk and who did this? Well, they did a lot. Let me tell you, I know about that movie. <laughs> they were a bunch of Jewish boys getting going out and getting drunk at night. Yeah. <laughs> we're getting yeah. drunk tonight, everybody. Good All night. Right. Anyway, enough. Yeah, Joe. Yes. What are you up to, Joe? Oh, what am I up to? I am just uh, up to no good. Uh, Working on we know some that. new shows coming up. Uh, I'll probably have some reviews of some movies that you know I'm looking at through on demand that are horror, you know, up new coming movies that are coming up. So it should be a lot of fun. I promise it won't be Bill and Ted face the music, Anthony. I promise. <laughs> Will you be wearing clothes, Joe? Oh, so, you know that. Uh... Yes. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> but that's what I'm up to. Al, how about you? What you got, Al? Well, you know, I, I try to make my fans happy. And someone has come to me and asked for a Godzilla movie. Now, oh. I want to do a Godzilla movie for the show, mm -hmm. but they are heavily copyrighted. So I had to uh, broaden the parameters, as we say. And I found uh, an, uh, uh, an 80s movie that I'm, I'm guessing none of you have ever seen, but it does have the giant Godzilla-like dinosaur stampeding through Northern California. Nice. Um, yes. Yes. Northern California. Yes. Northern. Not it's Japan? Called, uh, I think it's Northern California. Um, Interesting. It all looks the same out there. It's uh, <laughs> yeah. In this one, the dinosaur is looking for marijuana. It's called okay. Gondosaurus. <laughs> it's called which one? It's called what? Gondosaurus. Gondosaurus. Uh, yes. It's incredibly bad. <laughs> also, at that point, you know, marijuana is illegal, so <laughs> I have to explain yeah. that one to kids. <laughs> That's true. So Ganja Sword to work my way through. That's pretty bad. Nobody is in it. And there we go. Wait a minute. No one's no one's in it. I mean, no one's famous. There there are no famous names in it. Was you know was was so Luke Perry out of work at the time? Are you telling me Dean Kane wasn't available? Yeah, apparently not, man. Um, what it, it feels like, I haven't done enough of my research yet, but what it feels like is that somebody had access to a local TV station because the video quality is pretty good uh, and, and, and the cinematography is actually decent and uh, the special effects are of a caliber better than some guy working in his garage. That's not saying much, especially for I the time. Now, what I think is that it happened because somebody smoked a bowl and <laughs> had this this uh, hallucination of Godzilla invading a, a, a invading a marijuana farm, and uh, you know it's okay, uh, somebody that looks like Tommy Chong uh, is the hero. Uh, he would have been great in it. He would be. He would have been a real actor in that one. He he would he, he would be and um i i just that that sounds like a lot of fun i i actually may just check that out may have to okay. just check that out yeah weird stuff i come up with well i That's guess i can share shit, a little man. bit of news okay well it's related to the film well it's related to me and the film festival um but there's a really good chance that i will be moving to reading Ah! very near future yes oh. yes yes um Good gonna water. be a homeowner yes um, already pre-approved and um shop homes and all the excitement in fact i think i jumped the gun on one house today and like whoa wait a minute <laughs> let's think about this one i had a whole year to look at films or uh, houses and then i jump on the first one smoking so i rescinded the offer um, but yes, um, really good chance that um, we'll, I'll be moving to Reading. And, Congratulations. Um, well, thank Congratulations. you. Thank you. It, it, it's been running my whole life. And um, I, I'm really looking forward to just owning my own shit, to be honest. Just having my own place. Own that shit. Yes, yes. And it, yeah. it's good for the kids, too. You know, now, does, this own space. does this mean that you will take a step back from uh, things in San Jose? 
Or... Uh, well, that throws, that's the next question. Um, I don't know what was going to happen to San Jose, even if we stayed here, because their schedule is, is totally in flux. And it looks like all the theaters out here are still in flux. And most of the film festivals are either looking to 2022 or doing an online event. So right. luckily I work for Linden Lab who do Second Life, which is booming right now because it's a virtual world. Um, and basically every, right now we're doing um, author events, we're doing music events that are not only drawing in crowds, but it's drawing in corporate you know, sponsors. Um, the NFL, yeah. um, a lot of major, um, you know, music industry um, companies, a lot of big anime companies. Um, so there is already a theater in Second Life um, that is fully fleshed out. Beautiful theater in a nice looking town. And you can sit and watch a film. So if anybody recalls last year, I did an online film festival in the world of yeah. Sansar. I built out a fully fleshed out theater, lined up all the films, got the posters lined up and nobody showed up. <laughs> I had maybe all oh, four people show up because Sansar was um, fortunately a failed experiment. Um, it had all the tools, but it was considered Second Life, you know, 2.0. Um, Second Life is a, a thriving world. It's whatever you want to do. Most of the time, it's I just want to have a big house and a fancy car. <laughs> it, okay. it's, yeah, it, it literally is that. So if yeah, there's a good chance we will be doing a film festival. Um, I would like it to be unique. I would like it to have some kind of visual to it. Um, I know there's a lot of film festivals that do strictly like the the web based, um, maybe like the chat, like kind of like our live screening. How we're watching film and we're providing commentary, or sometimes it's just we can sell a ticket and the movie streams right there for you. Sit back and enjoy. There you go, which doesn't seem too far off from what you would see on Amazon Prime. You know, uh, you buy a ticket for a movie. Um, if I'm going to do it, it's going to be unique because at least what I can say now is my forays into the film festival, both at the Town 3 Cinema and Sansar, were both unique for those areas. Um, so this year, more likely, it will be an online festival, unless um, now Reading does have theaters. Um, that would be great to introduce them to horror. <laughs> like, hey guys. <laughs> uh, hey. Um, their restrictions um, are probably, they're pretty much the same as us over here, which is surprising. Um, so there's a good chance that um, news will come out that we will be holding a film festival um, through Second Life. Although it is unofficial, I still have to, you know, book the time and everything and, um, you know, coordinate all the the assets and whatnot. Um, but a film festival will be happening this year. It will probably be in the uh, virtual world kind of space. Um, it'll definitely happen. And I think with the tools that we have right now, it's very doable. Um, I really enjoyed the, you know, the brief camaraderie that we had in the live screening. Um, it was good to actually uh, see people it. talk about the movies as they're watching it. Um, so it, it will be something akin to that. YouTube Even if I stayed here and it would have been in flux. I mean, we're going into May. I don't even know when the theater would have space available for the film festival because it is what it is. You know, major uh, comic right. conventions like, you know, San Diego, 
uh, they couldn't do it in July. Um, they had to push it out to yeah. August. Uh, Silicon Valley Comic Con uh, out here, and they're doing a two-day event. You know, even then, who With knows who's going to show up? Exactly, limited capacity. Um, so for this year, oh, wow. um, I, I should have. I think my one regret was doing San Cyber, and I could have done Second Life. Uh, but this year, um, I think the film festival it will be an actual film festival online so i'm really excited for that um i hope to make it official probably in the next couple months here uh once i speak to the teams that are involved with doing that um but i can tell you that i participated in a um uh, it was basically like an interview an author workshop roundtable kind of thing in second life as my normal person um and the crowd was huge you know it was a packed region um, there was five other authors, horror authors next to us, and there was over 250 people watching us on YouTube. So yeah, the crowd is definitely there. Um, and yeah, I'm excited because that's where the attention is right now. It's, we can't go into theater, how can we enjoy this stuff? And there's not many uh, mediums or platforms like Second Life Around. Mm. And I'm thinking, you know, enough companies have already jumped on that, uh, that platform. Um, at one point, we were at capacity, uh, so it's not something that we're kind of unearthing. It's it's something that was there that was being used by major universities and companies because they needed a, a space, and it's still there um, because people are changing the way they work, right? Some companies are offering a few days um, that you can work from home. Um, so I think it, it's not only is it a viable option, I think, honestly, right now, uh, you know, considering the change, it's the, it's the best option. It's an option that we can still provide a platform because at the end of the day guys if we can't sit in a theater we can still watch horror movies right exactly. we can still watch either on our computer or on our tv we can still enjoy it and um at the end of the day we can still provide a platform for uh for horror enthusiasts especially for the uh filmmakers who already submitted so i'm excited you know, what bugs me about the theaters right now is that i have tried to rent run rent one for filming in to use as a film set and they're like, oh, well, you have to pay for all the seating as if people were there. And we want $10 a seat for you to use the room. What? And then they start adding cleaning fees. And oh, jeez. And it works out to be like, and you have to use our ticketing system. There's no one going to be there but me. <laughs> <laughs> I can see if it was a film festival. It actually sounded like the, um, the policies that I had to agree to with uh, uh, three below was I had to pay for every seat and I had to use their ticketing system. Yeah. But then again, I was running a film festival for nine hours. You're just running the thing. Yeah, I'm just renting it for the but day. I guess I'm it's the space, right? You know, like, yeah, uh, yeah. it well, might be the same thing after all. You know, that's funny, you guys, you because or... I, I, I found out, you know, from, I, I, I have found out from friends on Facebook who have been able to rent, um, you know, theater rooms for uh, birthday parties. Yeah, yeah. And I guarantee you that they didn't have to pay for every seat in the, uh, uh, in the, uh, you know, in the particular theater. And this was at AMC theaters. Right. Uh, I know the AMCs are now open to, you know, yeah. to that small capacity. But so, yeah. I'm I'm wondering if it depends on the theater and if uh, if this is a way of them taking advantage of people. I think it's a way of them taking advantage of people, certainly. But remember, if... <laughs> you know, uh, uh, in a sense, trying to... Yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, if you're renting it for a birthday party, um, they expect you to be out in like two hours. Yeah, I was thinking like I, a brief period. Yeah, I, and, and since no, my thing is that no one's using it, it's sitting empty. And I don't even need you to turn on the lights for the most part. <laughs> you just need to have someone there in the building to make sure I don't run around naked or something. And that's it. But nope, they want this outrageous price. Oh, it's too bad. Yeah, it really is. You should look at the uh, San Leandro uh, Theater. Uh, it's boarded up. It, it's still very much there. In fact, um, the dome or uh, what is it called? It's on. It's, is it on Hesperian? I believe it's on Hesperian. Oh, yeah, I, I remember that. I've yeah. been there They're in 30 yeah, years. Yeah, cool looking theater on the outside. I was thinking how much would it cost to actually renovate that thing? Um, but it looks like it's falling down. They got giant support pillars. So might not be an yeah. option anymore. Yeah. Now, the big right. problem maybe there. like, I would have said maybe like, maybe like 20 years ago. Yeah, maybe, uh, you know, he could have maybe saved it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, there was at one point they were trying to restore it, but that obviously fell through. Yeah, sadly, it's, it's hard to make money in a theater these days. It is, and it's like, as Kevin will remember this, like, uh, here in San Jose, there used to be the centuries 21, 22, 23. Yeah. All, you know, most of them are gone except for one. They've got, they tore down all the centuries except for one which is they're trying to say hey this is a landmark you know don't touch it you know mm -hmm. and it's it's sad because it's just sitting there empty and it's a former movie theater and it's kind of you know which, sad which to see. sorry joe i got cut out there for a minute is this 21 yes it's century 21. <laughs> Uh, That's still standing. And, yeah, it's still standing. You know, even though both Century Two, the three theaters that Century Twenty Two had are gone, leveled. Sure. Uh, you know, Century Twenty Thirty, which was right behind the Winchester Mystery House, is oh, gone. Yeah. And it's just like you know, it boggles my mind. You know, because. It's a dome theater, and hey, you know, you know, they haven't played a movie there. The last movie they actually played there was Raiders of the Lost Ark, I believe. I was there for that. And, and so, yeah, it was just, you know, I, I miss that theater, you know. And it's like, it'd be crazy, you know, if it was still in working shape what they would charge to say, hey, can we come in here and film just for like, you know, a few minutes or an hour or two, you know, yeah, when I it's not a bunch. Yeah, right. Yeah. There, you know, give me a person to watch over me for the day. I'll buy them lunch. You know, I'll, I'll order right. pizza and No problem. Yeah, here. You know, here. Uh, we promise we won't burn down the building. Uh, yeah. but, yeah. Well, time to put a bow tie on it, guys. Okay. Um, yes. This is a great talk. I, I, I really enjoy going through all these movies, and uh, they definitely will be on the show notes. Um, so, yeah, um, disaster movies in a whole. Uh, what scares us? We'll continue to bring it. This was a lot of fun. 
lot of fun. It's always glad to be here with you guys. <laughs> well, it's a lot always. of fun. It's a lot of fun for me to pick your guys' brain uh, in, uh, regarding, uh, you know, regarding films and and yeah. uh, uh, and it, it really. I I, w- I wanted to like Virus better more than I you know than uh, than I did. I just felt like I was envisioning uh, Irwin Allen too much in uh, uh, you know in it this. happens, Kevin. You yeah. know there are movies. That people can say and watch and go like, hey, that reminded me of this film. Like, you know, for example, Deep Impact and Armageddon. They both came out at the same almost time. And they were both the same subject matter. Pretty much. (laughs) Yeah. It was like, And done completely differently. Yeah. I agree. And I could actually, uh, six, I I did a piece on Deep Impact for uh, We Belong Dead's upcoming spotlight on science fiction movies. And I can tell you the differences between Armageddon and Deep Impact and where a lot of people in the industry and even out of the industry said that Deep Impact succeeded where Armageddon failed. Uh, and, uh, and so forth. It's very interesting, uh, but well, yeah, yeah, yeah. A- again, and I'm not, I'm not saying either one were better than the other. You know, trust me, I'm not that type of guy. I'm more like, hey, the Poseidon Adventure took it out. Okay, that's what. <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Well, for Al Omega, Kevin Nicholson, Joe Flynn, and myself, uh, thank you for tuning in and. We'll have plenty more episodes coming up along with some guest stars. And um, yeah, thanks for tuning in, guys. This was the Grim and Bloody Podcast. Night, Signing night. Off. Have a good time. <laughs>